Hey guys, what's up? It's your girl Gracie coming at you again with a Halloween episode of Up at Night. I also realized that this is actually going to be my 10th episode, and while some people may not really care about their 10 episodes, I care a lot about mine. I cannot believe that I've been doing this for 10 episodes. If you've been listening to all these episodes, thank you so much. I am glad that I'm here, and I'm glad that I get to talk with y'all today about some true crime stuff. So, today's trigger warnings are... I'm just going to jump right into it, by the way. <laughs> today's trigger warnings are um, murder and sexual assault. And I'm going to be telling the story of four true crime ghosts to kind of wrap up my month of Halloween. But they're not like... The reason I haven't done any, like, unsolved murders in a very long time is because they're not happy. Like, like whenever I did the Lover's Lane murder, my first ever episode, that was not a happy episode. That's why I started to do the whole, like, um, like, ah, here's one good thing that's happening to me this week because I was like, oh man, this is really freaking sad. But I was kind of like, you know, it works. Like, I like doing my one happy thing of the week because it reminds me to be happy. But... Uh, I just, these aren't going to be super happy stories. Due to it being my Halloween episode, this episode, this episode, yeah, wait, that makes sense. Ah, uh, I'm tired. <laughs> this episode's going to be really long, and I, I'm stressed out, y'all. Like, I'm not even going to lie about it. If I seem a little bit low energy today, it's because I am very stressed out. I just have a lot of work I have to get done. Tomorrow I have so much to do. I'm recording this on a Tuesday night. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this up on Thursday. A part of me was like, no, I'll push it off. I'll push it off till Saturday. But I want to get this out on Halloween. I want y'all to share in my spooky, scary ghost stories with me. And I want to talk about some stuff. So here we are. Here's my Halloween episode, even if I am pushing off my other responsibilities to do it. <laughs> um, okay. So the, this episode will be focused mostly on just like the victims and like, I guess not really like, I I guess kind of just like talking about the crimes and talking about the victims and stuff like that. Uh, there isn't much knowledge about all these cases, but there are some that are knowledgeable and that have a lot of info to them. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about my theories and what I thought about them. Oh man. <laughs> so happy Halloween. Welcome to the 10th episode of Up at Night, and let's just dump right into it. So to start us off on our four ghost stories of today, we're going to be talking about Jack the Stripper. And that is not a mistake. Uh, Jack the Stripper was known for the Hammersmith nude murders, and that was the murder of six prostitutes between 1964 and 1965 in London, England. Oh, also, if it sounds like I kind of am talking a little bit weird, I recently just got my Medusa pierced. If you follow me on Twitter, which is It's Not Gravy, I posted about it. It's just a little bit, like, a little bit tender today because I keep on messing with it. I got an email from Vans. Cool. <laughs> so the victims of Jack the Stripper were Elizabeth Fig, who was 21 and was found west of Barnes Bridge. The cause of death was ruled as asphyxiation due to manual strangulation and her underwear and shoes were missing. Gwyneth Reese was 22 when she was murdered by decapitation and was found at the Barnesboro Council Household Deposit Site, which is very hard to say. 
Hannah Telford was 30 when she was found murdered by drowning, and when she was found, she also was missing several of her teeth. So this killer was obviously, like, very kind of, like, uh, scatterbrained at the beginning of all these murders. Uh, but her murders was important because it showed police that there actually was a serial killer at large, and because of these murders and what happened with her, it actually prompted a real investigation from police. Helen Barthemill was 22 when she was murdered by strangulation. Her murder also gave police their first piece of solid evidence, which was flecks of car manufacturing paint at the crime scene, which led them to tracing down a local business nearby that had the similar, you know, paint. I believe it was a paint manufacturing company, or it was a I talk about it later. I don't know why I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, uh, Frances Brown was 21 the last time she was seen by a colleague who watched her get into a client's car, a gray Ford Zephyr. She was later discovered strangled to death, and it is important to note that Brown had testified on the trial of Stephen Ward, who was a English, uh, basically a chiropractor and an artist who was one of the central figures in the 1963 promo, pro, Profumo I mean, he was in the middle of political scare. Like, well, he was in the middle of political scandal. Like, he was tried and, like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff on it. Uh, that's not the story, though, so I'm not going to get too much into it. But he was, it was, like, a big, big case at the time. Bridget O'Hare was 21 when she was strangled to death. Her body was found also having flecks of industrial paint on it. And the flecks, and the flecks, and the flakes were now traced to an electrical transformer near where she was discovered. In the spring of 1965, after interviewing 7,000 and 7,700, after interviewing 700 suspects, the investigation hit a breakthrough when a sample of paint was perfectly matched uh, from like a victim's bodies that was near a transformer at the rear of a building on the Huron Factory Estate in Acton, which is a place in. England. <laughs> the factory estate faced a paint spraying shop. Therefore, uh, the, the sheriff, police chief, whatever, at the time held a news conference in which he falsely announced that the police had narrowed the suspect's pool down to 20 men and that, by the process of elimination, these suspects were being eliminated from the investigation. After he announced the suspect pool contained only 10 members and then three, there were no further stripper killings following the initial news conference. There are a lot of suspects, kind of like speculation around the crowd, but there were two that interested me, and it was Freddie Mills and Harold Jones. So, in 2001, reformed gangster Jimmy Tippett Jr. said that during research for his book about London's gangland, he had undercovered information suggesting that British light heavyweight boxing champion Freddie Mills was responsible for the murders. Tippett said, I have spoken to famous figures in the underworld and senior police officers in Scotland Yard, and I'm convinced Freddie Mills was the killer. Contrary to his public image, Mills was sexually warped sadist who enjoyed inflicting pain. According to Tippett, Cray era gangsters, including Charlie Richardson and Frankie Fraser, had long suspected Mills of being the murderer. Oh, man, my eyesight's not doing me well right now. <sighs> I had to pull, sorry. <laughs> I had to pull this close to me. Okay. 
uh, Mills had previously been linked to the murders by Peter Neal, a freelance journalist from South London, who told police in July 1972 that he had received information in confidence uh, from a chief inspector that Mills killed the prostitutes. He also said that it was common knowledge on the West End. Many people would just like say like, oh yeah, Freddie did it. Uh, he was found shot dead in his car, apparently by suicide in July 1965. And that's, yeah, so he was, he was suspicious. Uh, and then the second dude, Harold Jones, was not really brought up until a crime investigation channel's Fred, Fred Dean murder case book. <laughs> Google it. I don't, I don't freaking know. Uh, but he was a convicted murderer from Wales. He killed two girls in 1921 in the Welsh town of Abertillery. 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 Uh, because he was 15 at the time, he was not liable for the death penalty, and he received instead his life sentence. He was released 20 years later for good behavior, and in 1941, at the age of 35, after being released from prison, he's believed to have returned to... Abert the town he was from and visited the graves of his early victims. Basically, he just kind of like lived his life very low key, uh, but due to poor record keeping, he like so all the strippers' murders had very similar features to his early murders, uh, but due to poor record keeping, he was never considered a police suspect. So he died in 1971. So that yeah, that's the, that's Jack the Stripper, named after his heinous crimes. And I was, ow, I was gonna bring up Jack the Ripper in the story, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like everyone knows about Jack the Ripper. If you don't, then, like, hit me up. The Twitter for this podcast is up at night pod. No, up at night cast. Oh, man, I'm tired. Okay. So just let me know. And I, I honestly, though, if y'all ever have suggestions for murders or if you ever want to try and be on the show, like hit me up. I would love to have a guest. I would love to get your recommendations. I don't know why I'm stopping in the middle of my stories to tell you this, but hey, just so you're aware. <sighs> okay. So number two of the ghost story murders is the doodler. The doodler was a man who was responsible for 14 murders and three assaults of gay men of gay man. <sighs> the doodler was a man who's responsible for 14 murders and three assaults of gay men in San Francisco, California between January 1974 and September 1975. The nickname was given because of the killer's habit of sketching his victims before their sexual encounters and then of course afterwards he would murder them. Uh, he would do it via stabbings, which was his main consistent method through all of the killings. It was theorized that the victims had all died after meeting the suspect near the locations where they were discovered, and it was also not ruled out that there was a possibility that multiple men had been the doodler since, uh, due to like a vague description. Uh, the victims were Greg, Greg Cavanaugh, a 79-year-old 79, 79, man who was found on Ocean Beach. Uh, he showed signs of fighting off his attacker and was the first man the doodler, the doodler, the dootier. He was the first man the doodler reportedly killed. Yeah, I know. I know, man. I know I'm saying the word. I, I know. I know how bad that sentence sounds. I'm going to move on. <sighs> the doodler reportedly killed Joseph J. Stevens was... Um, 
Joseph J. Stevens was 27 at the time of his death and was employed as a female impersonator and a comedian. Officers believed he actually transported him and the killer to the area his body was found. Uh, Claus Christman was the first violent kill, as while the others had been stabbings, Christman was had, I believe it was like three times more stab wounds than the other victims, and had also um, had his throat slit several times. Uh, Frederick Kappen was 32 when he was stabbed by the doodler. His, his body then moved 20 feet to be deposited in a sand pit. While he was alive, he served in the U.S. Navy and earned medals for serving the Vietnam War. Does it have anything to do with this case? No, but I just thought it'd be nice to little mention it. You know, uh, the final victim of the doodler was Harold Goldberg, a 66-year-old man who was discovered in the decomposited state two weeks after his death in Lincoln Park. This murderer was peculiar because this had been the oldest victim, and this was the first time that the killer actually took the victim's underwear from him, which he never really did before that. Uh, police spent time questioning one certain man of the murder. Like, you know, there was one dude that they were like, oh yeah, this one's definitely the dude. Um, however, they could not actually proceed with criminal charges as the three surviving victims did not want to out themselves by testifying against him in court. Uh, the, three vic the three surviving suspects. The three surviving victims also are never named. Uh, there's speculation, but of course I'm not gonna like out anyone that wouldn't be outed. Uh, the suspect apparently cooperated with police, but never admitted to the murders or attacks. However, all of the officers, however, all of the officers, however, all of the officers who were active during this time all believe that he was in fact the doodler. Uh, to this date, the suspect has never been named or apprehended, and there has never been another attack of the doodler. Number three for the ghost story of today is the Servant Girl Annihilator. Uh, this story is kind of vague because it happened in the 1880s, so um, a lot of info was kind of lost, and I have three tests and a bunch of articles right this week, so grant me grace. I'm trying my hardest. <laughs> uh, this happened in the play- whoa, my voice cracked. Puberty. Uh, this is in this, in Austin, Texas, between 1884 and 1885, eight axe murders took place and were referred to as the servant girl murders. The murders represented an early example of a serial killer in the USA, and it also took place three years before the Jack the Ripper murders, which I wanted to note because I'll bring it up again later, and I just think it's kind of fishy, so just keep that in your noggin. Uh, the victims were seven women, uh, five black women and two white women, and one black man. Six women and two men were seriously injured, but all survived. All the victims were posed similarly. I couldn't find out how they were posed. I believe it was sound like, I believe it was like uh, provocatively in some way. I'm not sure though, I can't, any. Anyway, uh, six of the women had sharp objects, which is probably a knife of some sort shoved into their ears. And that's like the main cause of death. Uh, the victims were Molly Smith, who was 25 when she was murdered on December 30th. Walter Spencer was seriously wounded the same night. I don't know if they were together or not, but he was wounded. Swedish servant girls Clara Strand and Christine Martinson were seriously wounded but survived on March 19th, 1885. Eliza Shelley was murdered on May 6th. Uh, Irene Cross's murder was the first witness account that we have, uh, where a man with a knife was spotted at the scene of the crime. He was described as a white or dark complexioned man, uh, which I am confused by because are they saying that he was tan? 
Are they saying that he was a person of color? I don't really know. All I know is that that's what it says. But they didn't really get to see a good look at him at his skin tone because he was wearing a long, wide, loose-fitting gown with long sleeves and a high neck to cover his skin. And he had a hat on and a white rag to cover the lower part of his face. It is speculated that he worked with a group of murderers, but that cannot be confirmed. But it's important because it was in the police report. Uh, Clara Dick was wounded in August, late August. Uh, Mary Ramey was 11 years old when she was murdered on August 30th, and her mother was seriously wounded. Gracie Vance was murdered on September 28th, and Susan Hancock was murdered December 24th, and Lula Phillips was murdered the same day. Her husband, James, was also wounded and was actually charged for the murder of his wife. However, his conviction was overturned when they connected the murderer back to the Annihilator. There had been some gossip around who the murderer could have been, but it typically points back to a cook named Alaska who worked at a small hotel in Austin in 1885. A soldier named George M. Dodge met the cook and said that he carried around a double-edged knife with him at all times, um, which, like, it's Texas, so that's not super weird to me, but everything else about it is. Uh, He also told Dodge that he had been robbed by women of bad character and that unless he found the woman and recovered his money, he would murder and mutilate every Whitechapel woman he met. And there are some similarities between the Austin Killer and Jack the Ripper, both standing... Both stood between 5 feet 7 inches, and both were being of a stout build. The cook had apparently also moved to London during the time. uh, The cook had apparently moved to London during this time, and once he moved to London, the Austin killings ended. When an author of The Statesman tried to contact the cook in London for an interview, yay journalism, the cook had left London. And the Whitechapel killings stopped then, too. So, I'm just saying, it's kind of fishy-fishy, if you ask me. It's a little, it's a little bit fishy. Do y'all smell some fish in here? Because I certainly do. I drink some water. My legs are so sore. I don't know why. All I've been doing all day is, like, studying. I took a nap earlier. It was great. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry, I was just going to start talking. Hold on, my foot's asleep. Oof. I gotta move around my position. I just kicked the wall. So, the fourth and finer, finer, the fourth and final killer that we're going to talk about, final ghost story, is John Bible. Now, John Bible only killed three women in Scotland between 1968 and 1969, but the case is still super interesting. All three women were young brunette and were between the ages of 25 and 32 and had all met John at the Barlin Ballroom, which is a dance hall and music venue in the city. This killer is significant to Scotland in particular because it is the most extensive manhunt in Scotland history and was the first time the Crown Office or authorized the publication of a composite drawing of the suspect for the public viewing. So you hear that, my one listener in Edinburgh, Scotland? This is a story that's just for you. Everyone that's not my one listener in Scotland, turn it off. Not really. Please keep on listening. Thank you. Love you. So, 
He was called Bible John due to his repeatedly quoting the Bible and condemning adultery when in the company of his final victim, but I'll get in more into like that later. His first victim was Patricia Docker, a 25-year-old auxiliary nurse. She was found yards from her door the morning of February 23rd in 1968. Uh, she was found nude and showed signs of blunt force trauma to the head and face, but the cause of death was eventually ruled as death by strangulation. Her neighbor had said that she heard a woman scream, leave me alone, the night of her death, but of course there was no hard evidence, so it can't be clear that it was actually Docker's voice. An autopsy confirmed that there was no evidence of sexual assault, but that she had been on her period, and that's important to know, that she was on her period, and it was deduced that she died shortly after leaving the Barland Ballroom. If we are to believe that the neighbor had heard that uh, she heard, like, Patricia scream, then it can be deduced that John had grabbed Patricia on her way back to her home. Home. It can be deduced that John had grabbed Patricia on her way back to her home and punched and kicked her in the face before strangling her to death. The second victim was 32-year-old mother of three, Jemima McDonald's. She attended the Barlin Ballroom regularly, and on the night of August 16th, 1969, she was seen in the company of a young, well-dressed, and well-spoken man of slim build between the ages of 25 and 32. He was between 6 foot and 6 foot 2 and had short, dark hair with fair streaks. He would often insert biblical quotes into his conversation, like a freaking weirdo. Who does that? I mean, I went to a Christian school, and so sometimes teachers would like, bring up biblical quotes during like arguments and conversations but they were never just like oh yes that happened once in luke 582 you know like that's just weird that's a weird thing to do you're a weird weird man john i don't like you you freak you freak that's right oh i told him <laughs> after not returning home mcdonald's sister margaret was concerned and uh, she heard rumors of a body in a condemned building uh, in McKeith Street. And so Margaret went to the old building and found her sister's battered body laying face down with her shoes and stockings behind her. The autopsy concluded that McDonald was sexually assaulted and beaten around the facial area before being choked to death with her own stockings. She was killed 30 hours before her body was discovered and unlike Docker, she was found fully clothed. It is believed that this may be because she also had her period at the time of her death. The similarities between these two murders were striking, even like for the time period, um, but they were not considered to be done by the same psychopath. Because, you know, the 60s. 18 months after McDonald's murder is when the police connected the two murders together and they began to send out decoys and perform discreet surveillance at the Barland Ballroom to look for the suspect and that kind of matched the identification that they were given from Margaret's murder. However, the surveillance was called off in October 1969 when the proprietors thought they were hurting business. So of course, now we reach our third murder. On October 31st, oh yeah, that's right, it happened like a few weeks after the surveillance was called off, the body of 29-year-old Helen Puckett, the body of 29-year-old Helen Puddock was found behind a Scotland equivalent of an apartment in the drain pipe in the back of her garden flat. 
She showed signs of excessive beatings on her face, sexual assault, and was eventually strangled to death with one of her own stockings as well. She also had a deep bite mark on her upper right thigh, and since she too was on her period when she was murdered, she had a pad stuffed under her arm. The night before, guess where she was? The Barland Ballroom. Yeah. Yeah, so. So thanks, Barland. Thanks a lot. You're the best. You're the best proprietary. I hope to get some- Barland Ballroom. Sponsor me. <laughs> uh, so the she was actually there with her little sister at the time. Uh, her little sister's name was Jean, and uh, they both became acquainted with a man named John, who never actually said where he lived or worked. There was some speculation that he may have mentioned it briefly, but it was never, like, soliloquied. Soliloquied? Soliloquy. It was never soliloquied. To be if they're not to be. Is that a soliloquy? That's a monologue. No, that, this is a... Anyways, I, I have a theater appreciation test tomorrow. I should know all that. So, ow. So they both became acquainted with John. Um, then after being with the girls and Jean's dance partner for an hour, the girls and John boarded a taxi and then Jean left the two for her own flat. And that's whenever she was able to note more of John's psychological profile. Uh, he had a great chapel upbringing, uh, abstained from alcohol and repeatedly quoted the Old Testament stories of Moses. So clearly, this dude was a hot butted, hot butted. So clearly, this dude was a ladies' man just drowning in that poos. <sighs> he also referred to the Barrowland as an adulterous den of inquity and discussed his disapproval of married women visiting the establishment, which is funny because I assume you have to pay to get in. So, for this place that he hated a lot, he was spending a lot of money there to try and kill women. Essentially, John, you're an idiot and you're bad with money. Um, he was described as tall, slim, and well-dressed with reddish or fair colored hair rounded neatly in the back. He was aged between 25 and 30 and was around 5'10". Jean could not really remember the exact last name that he gave the two girls, but she said it was either Temp Templeton, Simpleson, or Emerson. She also felt like her presence was a bother to John, so she, I, I assume that she just thought like, oh, this dude's trying to like get it off my sister, which is weird that she would just be like, oh yeah, this is fine, this strange man, but you know, it's the 60s, I'm not gonna judge anyone. There are a few suspects of the murder, um, but the only one that I find interesting is a man named, that was named John White. We're not, I'm not really sure if that was his real name, but that's just kind of like what police like reported him as. He was a man who was arrested with extremely likely to He was extremely likely to be the murderer of these women, but he was dismissed because he did not have notably overlapping front teeth, which I could not find anything about notably like overlapping front teeth in like any of the police reports of the victims being like, oh yes, his he had an underbite or an overbite. And also I'm gonna be real with y'all, it's not hard to have an overbite or underbite. You just gotta push out your jaw a little bit. Like, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but if you're trying to disguise yourself, it works really, really well. Not really though, but like, whatever. According to Les Brown, which is the chief inspector, uh, the man's arguing with a young woman in the Barland Ballroom immediately prior to his arrest had greatly raised investigators' concern. 
Despite the fact that the suspect had closely resembled the facial composite and had subsequently supplied police with a false name and address before revealing his true name and address to the police, he was just released. According to Brown, the simple fact of this particular suspect not having notably overlapping front teeth, despite one police officer's acknowledgement of his being the best suspect yet, it was sufficient enough for ordering his release. Several years later, Brown extensively conversed with a detective who had taken the same individual to the hospital after arresting him outside the Barland Ballroom at the time of the murders. Although the suspect had needed several stitches in his head following an altercation, as soon as his handcuffs had been released, he escaped from the hospital. At the time of this incident, this individual had also falsely given his name to medical personnel as John White. In addition to this basic circumstantial evidence, the whole demeanor of the individual had led Les Brown and several of his colleagues to believe that this individual may have been the perpetrator. And that is it. That's where I leave you with the story of Bible John. There was no other killings by him. There was nothing ever to link him to any more crime scenes. He just up and disappeared after escaping the hospital. I do, I think that that was him. I like, if you're not a murderer and you give police and hospitals a fake name and a fake address, then like, he was either the murderer or he was the murderer for something else. Cause that's, that's too fishy for me. But yeah, that was my, that was like my, you know, my four ghost stories. And this also wraps up Halloween. I can't believe Halloween's over. I'm really upset about it. I cannot wait for next year. I'm counting down 365 days. Cannot wait. I have been trying to do this thing where I've been watching a horror movie every single night, working my way to Halloween. And honestly, my favorite one right now it might be the evil dead uh it's just i really liked it i thought it was really good uh the special effects did make me laugh but i thought it was good it was a good watch for me at least um i i've been doing a lot of like spooky things this october i've been super busy for some reason but i've been trying to get as much spook as i can out of the out of the festivities and of course the day after halloween i immediately start prepping for christmas because I love Christmas, and Christmas is the only holiday that I really care about. Uh, okay, so, like, not only holiday. So, Christmas is, like, I love Christmas. I just really do. My three favorite holidays are the big ones, you know, like, uh, Halloween, Christmas, and, uh, Valentine's Day. Those are, like, my three big holidays I can't really care about. Uh, I'm not, I've never really been a big fan of Thanksgiving. Like, I love my family, of course, and I'm very thankful for them, but I've just never really been, like, a big fan of it. Just like, I don't know. Whatever. If you like Thanksgiving, you can like Thanksgiving. That's totally fine with me. I'm just not a big fan of it. And I'm going to choose to not be a big fan of it. But Halloween, but anyways, back to Halloween though. I don't know why I was like, decided to go on my little Thanksgiving tangent, but Halloween is today. If you're listening to this, it's currently like the 29th. So it's not Halloween right now, but Halloween is today. If you're listening to this, So, if you decide to go out and party, if you decide to just hang out and watch scary movies with your friends, which is probably what I'm going to do, if you decide to go trick-or-treating, then go trick-or-treating. Dude, I want to go trick-or-treating so bad, but I'm 20 and and I don't really have, like, an appropriate costume to go trick-or-treating in and my friends probably would not go with me, but I want to so bad because you get free candy, man. You get free candy and you get to 
run around in the cold. So maybe it's not awesome, but hey, it works out. And I don't know, I just kind of think it'd be fun to like, you get, you get to be a kid again because whenever you hit the ages of like, I believe it was like 13, I like stopped going trick-or-treating because I was like, nah, this is lame, this is boring. And like none of my friends would ever come over to tr- go trick-or-treating with me. So I would just like, you know, hang out at the house, watch Nightmare Before Christmas by myself, do some Halloween makeup, it'd be a good time. And I don't know, I guess I like, at the time I was like, oh yeah, I don't need trick-or-treating, I'm an adult. And now of course, as an adult, I'm like, please let me trick-or-treat, it's all that I want. I just want to be able to trick and treat. It shouldn't be so hard. But, you know, I'm still excited to like just chill out, especially after how hectic this week's gonna be for me. I actually, I have a to-do list that I have sectioned up. My to-do list, I have sec- I have them sectioned up. So like, I have one every single day and I have one for the morning and then I have one for the afternoon. So love that for me. I'm trying my hardest. I'm gonna get through the semester. I have a history test tomorrow. So it'll be Wednesday. It's on Wednesday. So it'll be the day before this is posted. And I'm very nervous about it. I'm not as nervous about my theater uh, exam that I have tomorrow because I feel like I'm pretty good at theater. Like it's just theater appreciation. So it's talking about like, uh, like, things that are important for costume design and things like reasons that we have certain type of lights for stages and you know stuff like that so I feel like I'm ready for that one but history's never really been like my strong suit I'm really good at like English and um English (laughs) history is like fun if it's something that I'm like really interested about but I've never had like a well actually I take that back my history teacher in middle school Miss Wolf was the best history teacher I've ever had. I still remember stuff from her lessons. But like, other than that, I've never like, after Miss Wolf, I never had like good history teachers. Um, They were like nice and stuff, but Miss Wolf was like passionate about it. And she was like, ah, yes, history. And then afterwards the teachers were like, ah, yes, I'm gonna push my own agenda. And it was just really frustrating for me as a student to try and like decipher, oh, is this actually how it went? Or is this how, you are saying that it went to try and like woo me over to your side of the argument which is lame because you know that's not how that should work but it happens uh so i've been trying to kind of like reteach myself history luckily right now we are going over uh the revolutionary war and such so i can go fall back on my hamilton roots and use that to boost my grade up and use that to get me through because I was totally a Hamilton kid. Like, it was bad. I, I, would, I would sing Hamilton all the time. It was the only thing I ever listened to. I would, I was like, I really prided myself on being able to do the rap from Guns and Ships. I just, I thought I was the coolest kid in the world for being able to do that rap. Cause it's like the first, like, it's the fastest rap on Broadway. It dethroned the rap from Never Getting Married from Company, I believe but it was was just, I was super proud about it, but I get to use that kind of, like we were talking about, um, one of the big questions right now that we were talking about during class is why did Alexander Hamilton, uh, not trust Aaron Burr? And I had to hold back from being like, uh, Thomas, uh, Jefferson has beliefs. Burr has none, you know, like a douche, like the theater douche that I am, but you know, it worked out for me. I, 
that's like the one thing that I feel confident in is the questions like that but there are some like I'm just not good at remembering exact dates like for my scripts and stuff I have all the dates written out like in bold next to the crimes but whenever I have to like remember it off the top of my head I'm not good at it it's just it's not something that I'm like oh yeah tell me those dates I can remember a bunch of them all at once and it does suck me having to like rely on knowledge that I learned uh how old was I in eighth grade well in middle school so it's like how old I'm 20 damn I'm 20 <laughs> so it was never I was like 13 I'm, I'm gonna say 12 because I remember I know for a fact I was 12 in middle school so it was eight years ago I have to rely on knowledge that I learned eight years ago which is fine and I can do it I just you know I wish I had more history experience maybe this will help me um I only have to take two histories and there's only two to take so I'm not special I just I have to take the two histories but yeah I guess that's kind of oh my good thing man that was just my man that wasn't even my good thing I was just talking that was nice actually I kind of just needed to talk for a minute I've been sitting in my room all afternoon in silence uh my lizard is kind of in a bad mood today so I haven't been able to talk to her you would get it if you knew her I'm not even gonna try and explain that to people who don't know my lizard uh but the good thing is that I'm getting to go home this weekend I'm very excited I have not been home in I think like four or five weeks like I've just I've been so busy I've been doing all this stuff every single weekend I've had something I had to do and now I get to go home I'm gonna see my family I get to see my puppy and I'm just so excited to you know not be in a dorm because I I think my roommates are awesome they're very nice but now that I hang out so much with people who have apartments I don't want to live in a dorm anymore I like my own apartment I like my own space I'd like to feel like an adult and not feel like a baby but you know I'm gonna try and convince my parents this weekend to let me you know move into an apartment but if I move into an apartment too I can start filming like you know in my own space I can make like little faux recording place for me to do my stuff oh my gosh that'd be so nice because the reason that I can't record in my dorm right now is because it's so loud and because the walls are as thin as pieces of paper but it's working out right now I can just come over here and it may gives me an excuse to hang out with my bros so it works out but I'm excited to go home this weekend I'm excited to see my family I'm excited for Halloween obviously I think I'm gonna try and watch like three Halloween movies that night because I don't really like I get out of class I'm like done with stuff at like six so then the rest of the night can just be dedicated to Halloween for me and I'm pumped about that so cannot wait uh, also I'm excited for my piercing to be healed because right now it hurts a lot but it's whatever okay it's 8 13 I have not eaten dinner yet so I'm gonna go thank you for listening to my Halloween episode of up at night my stomach just growled uh this is also the 10th episode so if you got through it thank you so much I'm so glad to have you listening and I will talk to you the next time that I can't sleep bye guys <laughs>